Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-hosts and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. Episode 240 on the network. Network keeps growing, not just with shows, but in terms of subscribers, 40,000 plus. We're real appreciative of your support of us. We're in 72 countries now, grassroots MLB front offices, and all we're trying to do is build a better baseball IQ out there and give voices to people that we think need to be heard by our audience. We cater to you, audience, so thanks for your support and your encouragement. We'll keep bringing great shows like Mark and Will do every week to you, like like clockwork. So with the show today, uh, Mark, I'm going to let you introduce our guest in a second, but we had two co-hosts on our show, Jim Rooney and Jim Cott. Um, Jim does a show for us called Toe the Rubber, did a great show right before this one, and Jim Cott does Cott's Corner for us. Um, both had the same question. Now, those guys are on either end of your career. So Jim Cott refers to you as the young Mark Wiley. And when Jim Rooney talks, he talks about you and as a double uh, A, double A uh, skipper. So the question that both the guys had, and they didn't get together, I, they're not in cahoots, I promise you. They said that you <laughs> used to break off the nastiest curveball. And I know Will, Will's a pr- uh, proponent of the curveball as well and, and had a great one in his own right. But um, both guys asked, when you were breaking that curveball, Rooney said you used to do it as a coach. You used to break it off to him, and, and he couldn't believe you know how much it, it toppled. They both wanted to know if when you were throwing that, if you were aware of your spin rate at the time. <laughs> I, or, or if you just I, felt only, it. Only thing I knew is I knew what a good one looked like, and I could tell that they didn't hit it. Yeah. Uh, if they didn't hit it, I knew it was a good one. Um it was, uh, I've thought that I've thought about that a lot. It, you know, when they started coming up with a spin rate, when I was a director of pitching for the Rockies, I used to go, I wonder what my spin rate was on my curveball. I said, it had to be pretty good because it, it broke late and it broke quick. So, I, you know, it was good. it's, uh, you know, I learned it from John Scalinas how to throw a curveball and, you know, it was more hand speed than arm speed. I think that's the biggest takeaway I had when I taught it. I, I always felt like I had a good one because I emphasized my hand speed over my arm speed. And uh, and I could create a lot of torque that way. But no, I did not know the spin rate. <laughs> they asked it a little bit tongue in cheek, but I think they were curious to see if you were aware. And John Scalinas, as our audience knows, author of 17 Inches, uh, has touched a lot of people in, in, in baseball and often, in my my opinion, understated in terms of his importance in baseball. But as we've had guys in the show, he's mentioned more often than not. So I appreciate you bringing him up again. Well, with that, let's let's introduce our guest today, Mark. I'll leave that to you. Okay. my Our guest today is Mike Pazik, a former roommate of mine when we played in Tacoma, Washington. Um, Mike uh, grew up in Lynn, Massachusetts, went to English high school there. Uh, in 1968, he was the fourth round pick by the Los Angeles Dodgers, but decided he'd go to college uh, where he went to the College of Holy Cross, where he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2022. Um, while he was in college in summer, he played in Cape Cod League, where he was an all-star. And then in 71, um, he got picked in the draft, number, uh, first round pick for the New York Yankees and signed with the Yankees. Um Minor leagues, uh, minor league record was 70 and 52 with an eight, uh, 381 earned run average with 57 complete games. Um, Mike played with the Yankees, the Twins, and the Chicago White Sox in the minor leagues. Um, he was left handed pitcher of the year in the Pacific Coast League, the AAA League, uh, 
with the Tacoma Twins at 14 and 5 with 12 complete games. I was on that team with him. And in uh, Major League Baseball, um, he, he left the Yankees, you know, relatively quick. Uh, by 74, he got traded for Dick Woodson, uh, who's actually a teammate of mine and a friend of mine. Um, uh, he, uh, he debuted in 1975 with the Minnesota Twins. Um, were spent time with the twins from 75 to 77. Uh, then in 77 is when you had your uh, uh, car accident, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit. A minor league manager uh, with the White Sox, uh, manager and coach with uh, from 80 to 88. Baltimore uh, coach in 89. Uh, and I know, and uh, probably beyond that, I don't, I think I lost the information there. But anyway, Major League Pitching Coach for the Chicago White Sox in 1995 to 1998. And uh, now he's been scouting. He scouted with the White Sox from 93 to 95. The Colorado Rockies is advanced scout in 2001. And he's been present presently. And for 23 years, he's been a, a, a major scout for the Kansas City Royals. He was part of the uh, uh, Royals team. Uh, of scouts and advanced people and, and procurement uh, for the 2014 American League champions. And then he was with Kansas City in 2015 when they won the world championship. Um, welcome, Mike. We're really pleased to have you. I mean, you can bring a lot of different ideas and, and experiences to our show. Well, thanks. Great to be here. Good to, good to talk to everybody. You know, we, you know, it's funny because we talk a lot about different things and we talk a little bit before the show, we talked about players today having accountability. Um, you know, do you, when you're evaluating pitchers, let's say for a trade um, uh, or to be called up or, or any of your, your skill set, um, what what are some of the things important to you, and 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 is there a way you can figure out whether a guy holds himself accountable or not? Well, uh, one of the things I that I like to watch is seriously is when a guy goes out there and doesn't have his best stuff. How he competes, if he gets behind, you know what his body language is like. Is it like you know I'm I'm cashing it in for today? Or I'm just going to keep working to try to keep my team in the game. Those are important things to me because it measures. It, it, it's obviously not a metric, uh, but it measures heart. And I think that's one thing that everybody on this uh, phone call uh, will attest to is that at, at the big league level, there's always going to be hills and valleys. And you have to have people that are tough. Uh, and that are willing to work through the the tough parts, and that, and that's one of the things I really look at. And that that's like when I do a grade on somebody. If I see that in a guy, if I feel like he's that type of personality, that's at least a, a half a grade uh, on a on the plus side for me. Yeah, you know, Mike, I'll I'll, I'll attest, you know, that as as we talk and you're talking about about that trait and makeup in players, how many times now I see guys who just can't stop the bleeding in an inning? 
where you see they crumble, there's an error, maybe a missed call, they lose all their focus, they're unable to execute, and the innings just blow up. And uh, it's, 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 yeah, well, you know, it it just, it it sticks out. Like when somebody keeps going, you go, wow, because you see less and less guys doing it, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think, I think one of the things that you see at the minor league level, especially, is we don't give kids chance to work their way through back right. through tough situations. Right. As soon as they get in one, we take them out because we want them to make them feel good. Apparently, well, no, exactly. I don't care who you are. You're gonna you're gonna be in tough situations, no matter what type of stuff you have, and you better learn uh, how to survive those uh, and work your way through them. And keep yourself in the game. It's, yeah. it's so it's uh, it's it's you know there. And I always tell kids, I said, look, there there are things that you can control, and things you can't control. You can't control if a teammate makes an error. You can't control if uh, if the if the field conditions are bad. Uh, so if, if you can't control them, don't worry about them. Control the things you can control. Uh, you know, your diet, uh, you know, keep it in shape, your work habits, being a good teammate. Those are the things you could control. So concentrate on those. Well, you know, when we, we limit these guys, like you said, in the minor leagues, and it's the feel good value uh, development process to where you don't really allow the guy to go through as much adversity as, as he should. And sometimes they make bad judgments. They make him go through too much adversity, you know, right. like, to the point where the guy loses his confidence. I mean, that's where experienced coaching comes into play. But, you know, when when these things happen, players will limit themselves. It's like they're looking to come out of the game after five innings if they throw them pretty good. You know, that's that's not showing accountability to me. They're happy when they come out of the game. It's like they right. take well, – that, that, that's all I was trained to do. And when we only train guys to go five, six innings, guess what? You know, human nature is that's good enough. So you, I won't, think, get anybody, you won't get anybody pushing the envelope. I think the worst stat that has been created maybe in the last <laughs> 20 years is the quality start. Quality start. I mean, you, you get guys, and, and I had this. I had this happen in the big leagues. I had a guy that was that came out in the sixth inning uh, with a shutout and a low pitch count, and he's as he's walking off the mound, he's looking at me uh, in the dugout. So I'm thinking, well, I'm, he might be hurt. So I, I go over, I say, you okay? And he said, am I still in there? Well, when he said, I was ready to choke him. I said, are you still in there? I said, I said, you've got a low pitch count and you got a shutout going. Don't you not? Do you not want to be in there? He goes, he said, yeah. So he went out there and he, you know, he ended up finishing the game and, you know, pitched a, a shutout, nine inning shutout. But uh, uh, to what you said, we, we don't teach him that anymore. We, no. it, it, it's, it's, it's okay. And, and I've, I've argued with a couple of general managers about this and, 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 you know, some of them have a point. They go, well, how many, how many guys in the big leagues now, that you know that can pitch nine innings? And I said, well, I don't know because we never give them a chance to. 
That's right. And, they, they and never and trained look, when we look when we started, when I started anyway, Mike, when when I started a game, I wanted to do two things. I wanted to pitch a shutout and I wanted to go nine innings. That's it. And I figured, okay, that's gonna give my that's gonna give my team a chance to win. I'm not talking about I didn't want to give up any hits. I wanted to strike out 15 guys, none of that. I wanted to pitch a shutout and I wanted to go nine innings. And that's that was our mentality. I mean, yeah. that's the way I was taught. Yep. Well, uh, you know, and you can see it, you know, I've got a graphic here that it shows complete games from 2001 to 2021. And it's unbelievable that the the there were 197 in 2001 and there's 33 in 2020. Amazing. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, look, we amazing. When I was at Kansas City, we won a World Series just based on that. When we went to the winter meetings in 2014, uh, and we looked at our ball club, and we were a contact hitting defense and speed team. So what we did was we said, okay, you know, we, with being with Kansas City, we're not going to be able to afford high-priced free agent starters. So we decided, okay, let's build it from the back to the front uh, instead of going the other way. And that way you can, you can cut the innings off of the starter and try to have a lockdown bullpen and maybe, and as it worked out, it did that we could that we could survive that way. And you know, we had, you know, we had Holland and and Wade Davis and Kelvin Herrera and Ho Chaver, and they gave us a good shot after the fifth inning to, if we had the lead, uh, to be able to get a win. Yeah, that's you know, and that's important to know your ball club. You know, if you're a, a small market club. You got to make adjustments, but you do it with logic. You know, not everybody doing the same thing. It seems like that happens now more than ever. That everybody thinks that's the golden way to do it. Right. You just buy your way to a pennant, and that's. Uh, uh, I would say that the New York Mets probably right now are the yeah, prime example of that. Say, you, that you ask, can't do that. I mean, Steve, and, 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 don't, don't get me wrong. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the best intentions, you go get those guys, but there's a lot of things that have to go right, as you guys know. Right. I mean, it's just not all right. We're going to get these two starters, and they're going to take us over the hump. Well, there's a bunch of other guys on that roster that have to perform for you, also. Right. And uh, and so, in, like in 2015, you know, we knew our defense was 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 very good. So we could afford to get pitchers that pitched more to contact. And if we got a hitter, he didn't have to be a pure power hitter because our, our, our offense was based around guys that made contact. We didn't walk a whole lot, but, you know, we ran up pitch counts on, on, on pitchers. And it turned out after we got in, in that, that year, we signed in the offseason, we signed Kendrys Morales as a DH, who was a godsend, uh, for, especially for our younger hitters, because he was so good with them. 
as far as what we talked about before, watching the game and watching the tendencies of the pitcher that they were facing that night. And then later on at the trade deadline, uh, we get Johnny Cueto. And right after that, we get Ben Zobrist, who, you know, Ben was kind of late. You know, he was like, okay, he's, he's a super utility guy. But when we got him, and the story, we, it was like the fastest phone call I've, I've ever been on as far as a trade. Uh, Dayton Moore got us all on and said, well, we got to, you know, we're zeroed in on Ben Zobrist. Should we go get him? Everybody in the call immediately said yes, and that was it. And we went out and got him. It cost us, you know, four pitchers. Uh, Sean Manaya being one of them. But when we got him, it was he wasn't a utility, he was a utility player that was gonna play every day. He was right. he was he was in the lineup somewhere every day, and he really made a difference. Yeah, he was a tremendous guy. Steve Foster's got some good stories about Ben Zobris when he had him, I think he managed him in a wood bat league or something in college. And uh he uh, and nobody knew about him, so it's really a, it's a funny story. Anyway, um, so you know, you advanced for Kansas City in in both World Series appearances. Um, you know, what what was the process of that, and what were some of the things you looked for? Well, uh, the first year, you know, I had a partner, Mike Toomey, uh, and we were out together, and we took. Um, uh, I think we had uh, Baltimore, maybe. And, yeah. yeah, we had Baltimore. That was our only. And I, I tell you what, it, because of the data, did you guys know this? There's so much data available right. to these coaches. Um, and really what we did is, you know, we tried to corroborate the stuff that what we were seeing that they were seeing. And we also tried to uh, – especially with Baltimore, we zeroed in on a guy uh, that we didn't want him to beat us. And that was at that time was Nelson Cruz. Uh, and he, we only uh, in the series, uh, we only gave up three home runs. He didn't hit any. Uh, and, and there's always a guy that you don't, there's always a guy that's going to give you problems uh, that you don't expect. And Nick Marcakis gave us a lot of trouble in that series. He was a good player. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but you always look at tendencies. I, I, you know, I looked at how, you know, you wanted to look at how the manager used his bullpen. Uh, you know, did he hit and run a lot? Who he did it with, uh, which it, the next year was a little bit different when we got into the World Series with the Mets. Mike and I also had the Mets, but when we looked at them, uh, and again, to, uh, to what Mark said, you have to kind of look at what what is your team like first. And so we looked at our team and we knew we had team speed. We also, by watching the New York Mets for X amount of games, uh, their catchers weren't very accurate uh, when they were throwing. We were going to run anyway. And it didn't matter who was behind there. We were, that's, that was part of our game. We were going to run. But it made it, 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 it opened the doors for guys that really weren't great base runners to be able to steal bases like Eric Hosmer, for instance. Uh, and, and also they're, you know, the defensively, uh, 
they weren't that accurate in the infield as far as throws were concerned. Uh, and so basically when we had our meeting with the coaches, we said, look, tell our guys, no matter what happens, I don't care whether you hit a routine two hopper, run as hard as you can, you know, force them to hurry throws. And it, and it paid off, uh, uh, in a couple of instances, especially with uh, second baseman Daniel Murphy, made a couple of a couple of mistakes when he uh, when he tried to hurry a little bit. And, and don't get me wrong, Murphy he, he had offensively uh, and especially in the playoffs, he was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we took advantage of the things that we could do well uh, and tried to match up, and 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 things worked. We. We were not going to match up with their starting pitching, obviously, with, you know, with Harvey and Syndergaard and Mats. Uh, we didn't have those type of guys. But what we did think was if we could hold them close uh, later on in the game, we thought overall our bullpen was probably better than theirs and we would be able to, uh, you know, to, to eke out some wins, which we did. Well, you know, the thing is in today's world, you made a mention of it. You know, your team used up pitches. They fouled, got balls off. They got took t- pitchers deep into the count. In today's world, that gets the player out, maybe a pitcher out, and maybe an inning early. Yeah. So it's really important to do that. But on the other end of it, most teams are launch angles, swinging, don't care if they strike out. So right. it works opposite. You know, when yeah. you're in the playoffs, you get the playoffs – Sometimes you can't be the exact same team you were during the season. You got better pitching you're facing every day. Uh, you know, there's more pressure on everything, but you also have to understand that, you know, using up pitches for the pitcher is a really important thing. Yeah. And you hear that a lot, don't you? I mean, when you get during the season, you're hearing about launch angle and, uh, and velocity and it's, it's home runs and strikeouts. And then you get into the, uh, Getting into the playoffs, and all of a sudden it's pitching and defense. <laughs> and he goes, oh, "Wait a minute, this is, isn't this the same team that just happened that we just played about two days ago?" Hey, we talked. You, you already talked about the Indians team I was with, one of the greatest hitting teams of all time. Well, guess who we had to face in the World Series? Glavin, Smoltz, Maddox. Right. We're not facing those guys. Aren't facing those guys all year hitting three hundred? No. You know, no, so it, it's a totally different game. It became kind of a pitching thing. And, and uh, you know, nobody ever, you know, if a pitcher makes a bad pitch or loses a game, you know, I remember John McNamara telling me, Mark, it's always the pitcher's fault. He says, he says, think about it. A guy pitches great. He gives up a home run. He loses the game. He lost the game. He lost the game to the other team. He says, nobody talked about the guy that didn't get a hit with bases loaded twice. He said, you know, it's, it's a strange, right. it's a strange psychology to it, but you know, pitchers have to be able to handle the responsibility because you're going to take the blame. Yeah. And I think from, a, and also I think in today's game from a managerial uh, standpoint, and this started with Tony Larusa back in the day when he would, he started matching up a lot and, and it got to the point, and I know Mark, you've been through this in the big leagues and I it used to drive me nuts. You'd bring, you'd bring a reliever in uh, in the seventh inning and the guy would throw nine pitches and get three ground balls and they'd take him out. And I'd, I'd sit there and I'd, I'd, I'd say, why are we taking this guy out? Well, maybe there's a couple of left-handers coming up and, and 
And, and I, I always thought, I don't know if this is true. It's just my opinion. I always thought that that happened because if you didn't do it and for some reason it didn't work out, the manager would have to answer the questions. You know, why didn't, why didn't you do the matchups? And, uh, and I, I never thought, I, I always thought, look, I got a guy that comes in and can throw sinkers for, for two innings. I'm going to keep the ball on the ground. I mean, it's a lot easier to uh, defend a uh, defend a ground ball than it is a fly ball. I agree. Well, you know, a perfect example of that, which you don't see anymore, is is the World Series of the Twins when they left Jack Morris in. You know, yeah. great things happen when people have to make decisions. And Kelly made the decision. I'm leaving him in. I don't think I have anybody any better out there in the bullpen right now the way he's rolling. Plus, and, Jack would have, plus Jack would have killed him if he tried to take him out. Right. Well, that's exactly because that's the mentality he had. That's why he's a Hall of a Hall of Famer. Right. Exactly. You know? I mean, it's amazing. He. I mean, that's the only guy that's throwing a shutout, an extra inning shutout in the World Series, and that can only happen if the managers make those kind of decisions. Right. Yeah. And, and you hit and, it right on the head. It. Do I have the? What is my best chance to get through this inning or out? Is it the guy that's out there or somebody in the bullpen? And usually if a guy's out there that long, it's that guy. And, you know, and, and at that point in his career, Jack, Jack earned that. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, if it was a, if it was a younger kid, maybe first or second year, that probably wouldn't have happened, but he earned it. And, and I, and I always thought, you know, guys at the big league level, they, they, they earn the opportunity, you know, to be the difference maker. I mean, horses don't think there's anybody better out in the bullpen to finish their game for them. And that's well, well, you, the mentality. That's the mentality we had. You know, I, I, I very rarely was I ever relieved with a lead in a game. That's why I threw a lot of complete games because the managers had, you know, they had confidence in me that I knew how to finish it. Well, you know, you, you know, look at the result. The, the Twins won the big ring. They won the big trophy. And then you go modern. And we talked about it with Leo Mazzoni last week, the Tampa Bay Dodgers series, when they took Snell out oh, in the boy. eighth inning. And you looked into the Dodgers dugout, and they were celebrating. Yeah. Because they knew they were now going to win the World Series. And – People, the, the managers aren't allowed to have the same gut that Tom Kelly had to make that decision in today's baseball. Yeah. And that's if you're, well, if you're, if you're, if you're a, the third time through, you can't go through three times. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, they could, they couldn't sniff a foul ball for like two innings in that game. No, no, he was, you could, you know, I know Pays has been a pitching coach. You've been a pitching coach, Will. I've been one. It's all about the eyes, man. Yeah. It's, and, and when you get to a game like that, I was watching that game and they were zeroing on a Snell. And I go, this guy's got it, man. Yeah. His eyes, he was so focused. You got no so chance. So confident and projecting confidence. You know, that tells you everything you need to know. And Very you few guys, you know, fail when they show that kind of confidence. I mean, I swear you can historical see. facts for that. You could see the elevated confidence in the Dodgers guys from the moment that change occurred. Absolutely, those guys came in. They dug in. Their feet were dug in. They were, 
they, they, they looked more confident. You're going, oh, shit, this is no good for Tampa in this game, man. This is over now. Yeah, and the manager just, you know, basically said that he was just following the statistics yeah, that they had followed all year. I mean, you couldn't blame him for that other than the fact that, I mean, here's a guy that that that, that had played and should have, I mean, like like Mark just said, you got to look at your, 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 what are your eyes telling you? Your eyes are telling you the best guy is out there. Hey, sometimes managers make mistakes, but that's what they're paid for. Sure. I mean, look at the heat that Buck Showalter had when he didn't bring the reliever in. Yeah, but he brings Zach Britton in. He right. didn't bring Zach Britton in, the best reliever in baseball in a tie game at home. That's and, right. And he, and he went with a starter that threw a good inning the inning before. Well, that happened. He threw down inning, and he just left him in there, and they end up losing the game, and, and Britton never got in the game. Right, and that happened to us uh, uh, in the World Series. If you remember when uh, – when Harvey had a shutout yeah. going into the ninth inning and talked Terry Collins into keeping him in. Yes. And and we ended up and we ended up winning winning the game. Yep, I remember that. Yeah. So you gotta take the heat, you gotta make the decision. And and if you're a manager, you can't get talked out of it if you're if that's what you're convicted with. Yeah. And that's a mistake. That's a mistake too. Mike, I got a question for you about fundamentals. We're we're seeing a breakdown across the board, I think, and we talk about it on all of our shows in Major League Baseball. I don't remember seeing this as much in the past. You've 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 held pretty much every position from a player to an advanced scout to a coach. What what's changed over time that now we're seeing major league players come up and maybe not have the base running nuances they had in the past or things like fielding bunts or uh comebackers to pitchers. Uh calling fly balls, outfield, infield, outfield communication. What's changed in the landscape, if anything, over time? Well, I don't think, truthfully, I don't think there's a priority put on it anymore. Um, It's all launch angle, home runs, and strikeouts. I mean, you hear that, you hear that every day. I mean, so they may work on base running, but again, what we talked about before, when there's a mistake made, there's no accountability. I mean, we've talked about this. I don't know how many times, almost daily, when I was in the minor leagues watching the minor leagues, you would see a runner get on second base, less than two outs, a ball hit to his right, and he tries to go to third base and gets thrown out, which in itself is not good. But the worst part about it is if you look at the guy goes in the dugout, nobody says anything to him. Right. There's no, there's no accountability. I, I, I know what, when I first started – if if you couldn't do those type of things as a pitcher, if, if you couldn't if you couldn't field your position, or you didn't have a decent feel how to hold runners, and I know there are some people that are better than others, the managers didn't want any part of you in the big leagues. They they didn't they they didn't want you on the team. I don't care how good your arm we had, but that's not a priority right now. The priority now is, you know, if your spin rate is good, uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll, we'll teach you all the necessary fundamentals to get you by. Did you ever experience that in the big leagues as a coach? And what expectations, I guess, did you have on that minor league system as they were producing players for you? What things did you expect them to know? Well, uh, the, what I, what the one thing I, tell, I used to tell my minor league pitchers when I had them is, Watch the game. Watch the hitter. Watch the bat. 
I mean, hit, I mean, I, I know Mark and, and Will might get a chuck out of this, how many times they've heard this. You would sit there and you would watch a pitcher, for instance, throw fastballs that the hitter would hit right over the opposite dugout, which basically is telling you you're late. The next pitch invariably is a slider that is his bat speed, and then he gets a hit. And then the inning was over, and you would get the pitcher and say, what were you thinking on that uh, that 0-2 pitch right there? And he said, and, and you would very, you know what you were going to get. I wanted to give him a different look. What? Why did you want to give him a different look when he was sh- he was showing you what he could hit and what he couldn't hit? So I, I, I think up to. yeah, I think you know I think I think that guys now uh, and and again I I know the big leagues is a learning curve, but I, I just don't think they have the they have the feel that guys back in the day used to have. It's, you know whether. There are very successful guys, don't get me wrong. But they just don't have the feel uh, of, of what it takes on the mound. They don't watch the bat. Uh, they don't pitch the contact, which I, which really bothers me. I mean, because, you know, you, you're only able to throw so hard. Uh, and if you got spin rate and all that stuff, I get it. But uh, I, I think guys pitch away from the bat too much. And, and I, I was always, I was always, look, pitch the contact, let your defense do the work. If the defense makes an error, they make an error. I mean, what you've right, you've done your job. So, I mean, don't worry about that, but I, know, I, it, the, the pitch counts get run up. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've sat there and watched a guy go three or four innings. He's got 90 pitches. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, I don't know how true it is, but I remember when I was with the Orioles and Sid Thrift was the general manager, and he had this long-time belief that if a guy swung late on a fastball, if you threw another fastball within 12 seconds, he couldn't make the adjustment. There was no adjustment. You're not giving him any time to make any adjustment, and he is invariably will miss it again. And he had statistical analysis. I don't know if it went back to the old Royals Academy or what, because that's Sid started out running the the Royals Academy, and Sid was very progressive in in new technologies and stuff. But I remember he used to say that, and it used to be funny, and I used to watch it, and and it really seemed to be true when I'd see a guy do it within a short period of time. If a guy was way late on a fastball, a guy would throw. He says, you don't even need to be particular with it. Just throw it right down the middle, the same speed as the one you just threw, and he won't hit it. And it seemed to work. It was funny. It's something about the psychology or the, the brain activity that makes you adjust. That's what his play was. Oh. Hey, I've got a, I, I remember when I coached against you, you were with the White Sox and I was at the Indians. Do you remember <laughs> – and this happened to me a couple of times too, but do you remember the time Terry Bevington went out there and took the guy out before having anybody warmed up? Yes, it was. Uh, Can you tell that well, story? Because I think it says volumes about Dave Martinez as a manager. Well, now. it was obviously embarrassing for everybody, uh, myself included, but we were on the, we, we were sitting there and uh, my recollection was uh, that, I think it might have been the seventh inning, maybe or something like that. And Bev had me get, and I didn't get guys up randomly. I mean, I, I only got guys up when I was told to get guys up. 
So in the seventh inning, he may, I think I, I think he said to get Matt Karchner up. I think he was the guy at the time. Uh, and the pitcher got out of the inning. And so I sat Karchner back down because he didn't make mention anything about getting him. So the inning started, the pitcher went back out. I was never told, you know, to get Karchner back up. So, and I, it, it was funny because uh, Joe Nosick and I were trying to tackle Terry before he went out there. I remember he, I called you. I called you up after the game. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, but, and so he made a quick decision, obviously, and he kind of bolted out of the dugout and we're screaming at him, you know, don't go out there. There's nobody up. And he went out there and he, and he had to make the change because I had already been out there. So he had to make the change. And then we brought, we brought Karchner in and he ended up giving, I know he ended up giving up a few runs and, and, and basically what it was, was I think we wanted Karchner up for ready. I think it was for Sandy. Uh, and anyway, he ended up facing Sandy and I think Sandy ended up getting a double off him or something like that. Well, but I remember yeah, the, the, the key was, is that you, that, uh, Bevington looked out there and said, oh, shit, there's nobody out there <laughs> warmed up. <laughs> and, yeah. and Dave Martinez was the first baseman, and he said, hey, I know what you can do. And he said, what? And he goes, bring a guy in, have him walk the guy intentionally, have him walk him on four pitches and give the guy time to warm up. Yeah. And I remember yeah. you, you and I talking about, we go, God, that that's great. That's unbelievable for a position player to come up with that idea in the middle of the game. Right. And now you see him as a manager of a world championship team. So yeah, Davy thought the Davey, game. Davey, Davey was that type of player. I mean, he played with his head uh, and a great teammate, real quiet guy. Um, but you're right. I mean, that was, you know, it was an unfortunate situation uh, that didn't look good on anybody. Um, but, you know, you get through it and, uh, Oh, it, it, uh, it happens. It, it, it happens. It, Managers get mad at guys and they re- need your, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. And it, it I mean, it kind of, you know, Matt was, you know, one of those guys where he was always like, you know, how am I doing the stuff like that? And this guy, I mean, this guy could throw ground balls with the best of them. And uh, I said, look, just throw your sinker, just throw it over the plate, let him in on the ground. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. But that, I think, I think mentally after that game, I think that really bothered him. And it got, it got to the point where um, it took us a while. In fact, I think that might've been the year uh, that we made that, that trade at the trade deadline where we traded Roberto Hernandez and Wilson Alvarez and Danny Darwin to the giants. Uh, and we were, and you, know, and you guys were in first, but I think at that time we were only maybe three games out. And we made Matt Karchner the closer, and he actually did it and did a really good job. That that trade that trade day was you talk about mentally tiring. Oh my! I got I got a call. We're in Anaheim, and I get a call from Ron Schuler, and he says. He said to me, he goes, are you sitting down? And I went, well, I am now. <laughs> and he goes, 
He goes, well, we just made a trade. I said, okay. And he goes, we traded, uh, we traded Danny Darwin to the Giants. And I said, you know, th that's great. I said, they're in contention. And I know he told me that this was going to be his last year, and it gives him a chance to go on out being on a playoff contender. And he said, well, that's not it. That's not all. I said, okay. He goes, uh, we traded Roberto Al uh, Hernandez and Wilson Alvarez, our closer and number two starter. And I said, okay. I said, so, yeah. So I, we traded the two starter, the five starter, and the closer. I said, okay. I said, now, he goes, well, we got six guys back for these guys. And I said, good. I said, who's, who we, you know, who's going to help us and who are we bringing up? He goes, well, none of them right now. And I went, okay. <laughs> I, said, I said, so we're, so we bring, you know, we, we it, the good part about that uh, is that they, it gave Karchner a chance to be the closer, and we brought up a couple of uh, a couple of young kids uh, to to start. I think James Baldwin was one of the starters, and Scott Ayer, and there was you know there was a couple of guys that had opened the door for a chance for him. So you know, doors open, doors close. I guess, right? Yeah, I, I remember we played you at one point. I don't know if it was that season. It was. Uh, we went in and you were, you know, you were probably uh, maybe eight games out. We might have had an eight-game lead, and you swept us four games in a row. It was the only time that season that we ever lost more than two games in a row, and we lost four in a row. And I remember John Hart was like, oh, my God, is this could be the end. <laughs> and, Not with that team. We uh, went that, that team, that team you had right there. There, I mean, you're right. That was an anomaly. You were about that four games out now, which would nobody had been close to us for a while. And I remember we we reeled off eleven wins in a row after that, and <laughs> we swept you at home during that eleven. So it was yeah. like we just reversed the whole thing anyway. Yeah, but uh, you know, baseball's a funny thing. But you know, when you got the horses, you know, um, you're supposed to win. You're supposed to win, and and I'm always astounded when really good teams get beat by really bad teams, because guys take a deep breath and they think they can walk through it. And yeah, I, I remember I Dave, McKay, Dave McKay told me one time we weren't a very good team at Cleveland at that time, and the A's were coming in to play us. And he said, Dave told me after the after the first game, I I think we went out for dinner or something. He said, he says, you know what Tony said before the game. He goes, these guys always give us a hard time. And we always, we played one run games all the time with their team. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, uh, we're going to put them behind us in this series. And Dave thought that was like the coolest thing. We're going to put them behind us. So focus and let's get to it. Right. And, <laughs> and I thought to myself, I said, yeah, I said, I guess he was trying to get, get a really good team back focused against teams that you're supposed to beat. Yeah, you know, in uh, 2014, I know some of you have read about this. Um, we had Raul Abanez on our club, and the team was going through a little bit of a uh, hills and valley type. And he had, he made a speech uh, to the club, and he basically it was the gist of it was uh, that nobody wanted. They go, you guys don't. 
nobody really wants to play you guys right now. Uh, and, we, you know, we can't make it easy for him. Uh, and he used a, uh, a story. Uh, I think he it was it was about the old uh, uh, conquistadors or something, how they used to storm an island or a land. And what they did as they were as they were advancing inward, they would burn everything in back of them. Uh, and what it was, what the, what they were saying was basically he was telling them, don't worry about all the stuff that happened yesterday. Just look at what's in front of you. And right. I think I think a lot of successful teams, that's what they do. Uh, they, they don't let, you know, like like you guys did, Mark. I mean, you, you know, we beat you four games in a row, but then you go reel off 11. Yeah, it, it's it's um, it's that expectation. But I will tell you, and I've said this on other podcasts, those Indian teams, we were winners in the minor leagues too, and we had a case up in the up in the hallway of the front office that had all the championship rings from all the minor leagues, mm-hmm. and these were all the same guys that came to the big leagues. They came to the big leagues, and like you said before, they expected to win. Right. They, there was no other alternative. We win. We're we're the best. Well, the classic the classic argument uh, that you have a lot is uh, is winning a part of development. You know what I mean? Like a, a lot of a lot of organizations will emphasize that that's it's important to win. Others will say it doesn't matter. We just need to develop. Well, it, you know, we proved in, uh, in Kansas City, well, you know, with the Hosmers and the Mustakases and Lorenzo Canes, that they are all playing together for a few years and they get to the big leagues and they expected to win. They knew how and they expected it. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you know, a minor league playoff game's a big game too because you've never been in the big leagues. And I, I, I always like to go scout. Uh, playoff games to see what players, you know, kind of, you know, rise to the occasion. And you see good big league players over the years that I've gone and watched minor league playoffs, guys who step up in the playoffs, they end up getting to the big leagues and they end up being the guys who go and compete too. So it is, yeah. it, it, it goes hand in hand. It really does. You know, the, the exceptional talent, uh, the Mike Trouts and, and people like that, they, they're going to get to the big leagues, no matter if they're playing on losers or, or whatever. Um, you know, I remember, I remember they sent me into, uh, I was in Charleston watching the Yankees play, but I, they sent me in to watch uh, the Braves. And the Braves had Jason Haywood and Freddie Freeman on the team. Yeah. Right. So they, I, I remember, uh, Gene Watson called me the next night and said, uh, what, what about those two guys? And I said, you know what? I said, those two guys even stretched better than the rest of the team. I mean, that, that's okay. I mean, they, they, just, they just stand out. I mean, good players just stand out. And they may scuffle a little bit, but, you, I mean, you just know. You just know that. You looked at those two, and, okay, out of those 23 guys or 22 guys right there, who are the who are the stars? And you go that guy and that guy. I mean, that's. I mean, if you've been around long enough, it does. It's, it's not that hard. You know, neither one of you guys were area scouts, but we always used to say when 
you got to the ballpark and you couldn't find the guy you were there to see, you were at the wrong game. You know, usually, usually the guy you were there to see stuck, stuck out. Yeah. You know, you see the leadership, you see a, how he wears his uniform, how he goes about his business. And you go, okay, that's the guy I'm here to see. Yeah. You know, or, or if he doesn't step up like that, that's strike one right there on that yeah. day of viewing. And I think, I think a lot of times too, is when you, especially at the upper, when you get into the triple A, when you, you know, when you get, when you get guys that have had big league experience and they get sent down, uh, you know, I went to see, uh, Gwinnett played uh, Atlanta's triple A team. And I was particularly Im- impressed by Adam Duvall was there. Yeah. Right. And I went, here's a guy that's had some big league success and he's in triple A and I'm going, I wonder how this is going to work out. So I went to watch batting practice and I'm wa- I specifically watched him and I went, you know, I mean, here's a guy that he was, I mean, he was uh, talking to all his teammates uh, uh, he was friendly. He had a smile on his face. Uh, he was working hard. I went, you know, this is this is the type of guy I want right here. That you know that 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 you know you know yourself. You've seen guys that get sent down uh, from the big leagues, boy, and it takes first of all, it takes them three days to even get there, and then when they get there, it's 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 like two weeks of attitude adjustment. You know, uh, you mentioned that Alec Bohm got sent. He, uh, 2020, the COVID year, he got called up and finished second in the rookie of the year. And then in 2021, got off to a horrible start. He made a bunch of errors. He wasn't hitting. He was taking his defense to the plate, his, the plate to his defense. And eventually they sent him down uh, after a weekend series at home. And I went into Lehigh Valley the day he was sent down. I had heard it on the news and he was there early doing extra work. And I said, this guy's going to be fine. He showed up the day he got sent down. Well, it didn't take him 72 hours to go from uh, Philadelphia to Lehigh Valley, which is about a 40 minute drive. He was there and he did his work and he got three hits that night. And I go, this guy's going to be fine. You know, yeah, it's funny how that, that works, that the, the one trip going up takes yeah. about an hour and the one trip going down takes three days. Yeah. yeah. Le- well, you know, Lehigh Valley to Philadelphia is a half hour drive. And right. <laughs> Philadelphia to Lehigh Valley is a 72 hour drive. <laughs> yeah. I used to love it. I used to love it when I have a player say, no, I don't need 72 hours. I want to be in the lineup tomorrow. Right. You know, those are the guys you want. And, you know, I used to keep in my tool bag, I used to keep stuff like uh, Hall of Fame players that got sent down, sent back down when they first came up. I used to keep that. So when I needed to talk to a player, I'd be able to point out. I say, well, you know, Jim Tomey, the, yeah, what a great hitter. And I go, yeah, you know, you know, he got sent down after he got called up. That's right. You know, I mean, and and some of the guys, I remember Matt Williams telling me, uh, and, you know, Matt's not a Hall of Famer. He's a great player. And, and he was, I think he told me he hit a buck 80 or something <laughs> his <laughs> first year. You know, like guys, they they watch these guys on TV. They think they never went through anything, you know. And then I used to, when I get a guy with a big head and he thought he was really something special, 
and he started acting like he was more special than everybody else, I used to throw out some names of Hall of Famers I knew he didn't know who they were from back years ago. And I'd say, well, you know, so-and-so. And they go, who's the hell's that? And I go, Hall of Famer. Yeah. Hall of Famer. And, and nobody even knows who he is. So don't think you're anything special. Yeah. We were in Cleveland one day. I'll never forget this. And they were having a Bob Feller day and they brought him out and drove him around in a car <clears throat> and, you know, up on the, they've got all his stats up and all that stuff on the board. And it, one of the pitchers asked me, who is this guy? And I went, what? I said, who is this guy? I said, are you kidding me? I said, look at those numbers right there. <laughs> and I mean, it just, and, and you know, I mean, a lot of guys just don't have a sense of the history of the game because they don't really care. And that, that's not a bad thing. It's just most guys which should have a, a decent idea. Like Mark said, you know, there are Hall of Famers that struggle. I mean, it's just that's the way the game is. You know, it's a humbling game. You know, it's yeah, not. Such, a- you know, and there's such a discrepancy too, isn't there? Uh, now, I don't know whether it is as much now between AAA and the big leagues, as far as talent is concerned. My my first year in '71, when they brought me to uh, the last game I pitched was against uh, Rochester, and they had. Rochester had Don Baylor, Bobby Gritch, Terry Crowley, Al Bumbry, Johnny Oates. That was their lineup. And I went, if this is triple A, I, I better get ready for the next level. There, <laughs> were, there, there were certainly some deep lineups and rosters uh, that, uh, back in that time, for sure. Well, you know, the thing is, there were 24 teams in the major leagues. There's 30 now. There's 30. You know, so not only the things have changed the way development is, you don't have as good of players in the major leagues. Point. I mean, that's that's a fact. There's no way. There's, you know, some of the rotations back, even before I signed, when you had Drysdale and Koufax and Johnny Padres and Don Sutton in a rotation, you're talking three Hall of Famers in the rotation. The only time that ever happened is with the Atlanta Braves in recent times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, now you right. can't even name the number one guy on a team. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we, we, uh, you know, usually when we have guests on, you know, we have a lot of parents and young, young pitchers that listen to the show and, uh, you know, what kind of advice do you have them and why they're growing and trying to learn the game as young guys all the way up through high school? Well, the, and, and Mike Toomey and I, we had a, a, we ran a clinic for a year. So I was, uh, I, I got to spend a lot of time with a lot of high school kids, especially, but even younger. I mean, the first thing I would do is, I mean, to me, if you don't have a workable delivery, and, and I'm not sure nowadays I'm not around it enough to even, I don't even know what emphasis is put on deliveries anymore. I, I, I really don't. Uh, but I would say, you know, get with somebody that can teach a workable delivery for that person because they're all different. I mean, it, 
what what bothered me used to bother me was somebody would come up and go, well, you know, wh- why are you throwing like that? Well, this guy throws like that. Yeah, but you're not him. So I I, I would say get somebody that that uh, get with somebody that knows about deliveries and and gives you something that you can repeat. And a repeatable delivery to me, then you can work anything after that you can work off of, especially location. The second thing I would do is make sure the first is that he knows how to locate his fastball, number number two. Number three is I'm not real sure, especially at a younger age, that I would fool around with breaking balls because their arm is still developing, especially, you know, a slider or anything. I would I would start teaching them how to learn how to change speeds. Just change a little speed off your fastball. Go back and forth off of that. So, I mean, that's that's what I would do. And what we talked about before, all the little things, how to field your position, ending up in a good spot, how to hold runners on, uh, that type of thing. I mean, I, I think when, if you develop a, a solid base, um, you're able, you're going to be able to expand on that base a lot easier when you have somebody that has a workable delivery. You know, when, when I, with, you know, and I always thought, well, you always talked about how each individual you have to work with. I mean, you, you guys remember uh, in Kansas City, uh, we had a guy named Kevin Apier who, who nobody, would teach Apier's delivery, yeah. right? And every year you would sit there and go, well, this guy's going to break down. Meanwhile, you know, he's 17 and seven with 220 innings and he would do that every year. And I, I asked him one time, he came back with Kansas City and I asked him one time uh, about that. And he said, you know, he said, people have been trying to do that to me my whole life. He said, if I tried to change I wouldn't be able to get anybody out. <laughs> and he he's probably right. Yeah, I was lucky to have him. He 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 was a piece of work, but I really enjoyed working with him. He was so funny when he'd warm up before a game. He he would always say, "I got nothing." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got absolutely nothing today. And he'd go out there and throw a shutout or something. But he was funny, man. He used to and he used to, you know, he did some stuff that you know, I always have to, you know how you have a pitcher that a ball falls in the outfield and he thinks he should have caught it, you know, he'd be yeah. out on that. I'd go out for a visit and he'd go, guy, you should have caught that ball. And he'd be ranting and raving. He'd be ranting and raving. I would just stand there and stare at him, me and the catcher. And I would just stand there and, and let him keep going and going yeah. and going. And then he would look at me. He would look at me and I'd go, okay, are you done? And he'd go, yeah, I'm done. I said, it's okay, we got to get the next, get yeah, the next a, hitter off. It's surprising <laughs> uh, people would be interested in how some of those conversations oh, yeah. go. They all go I, had a guy, I had a team, when I was with Chicago, we are playing a game of the week on a Saturday afternoon. And uh, uh, Terry Kennedy, I think, was uh, was doing the color. So he asked me about this guy. And I said, yeah, I said, uh, you know, he, he needs to start to, when he gets to his, if his off speed, he's going to have, get a feel for his off speed pitches. If he, you know, he'll probably struggle early, uh, but if he, if he starts getting his, uh, secondary pitches over the plate, you know, he'll, you know, he'll be able to last on. Well, sure enough, 
We're playing Texas. So I'll never forget. Bases loaded in the first inning with nobody out. So manager says, go out and talk to him. Now I go out there and I'm walking out. I'm going, what am I going to tell this guy? He's been in the big leagues for 12 years. I mean, what, you know, what am I going to tell him? So I go out there and the, this is the honestly, the first thing he said to me, he goes, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He goes, why do you only come out here when I'm pitching like crap? Why don't you ever come out here when I'm pitching good and talk to me? I said, <laughs> so what he was, what he was telling me was basically, I got this figured out, you know? I'm, 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 so I looked at him, I go, you got to figure it out. And he goes, well, I better. So I walked in and then I think he struck out the next guy. Then the next guy hit a bullet to Robin Ventura that he happened to catch getting out of the way. And we turned to double play. <laughs> he came he came off the mound. He came off the mound and, you know, my wife was watching the game. She goes, yeah. She goes, the cameras were on you. And I said, I, and I didn't tell her what we went. So he, we went, you know, he, he called me down the stairs and he said, I'll never mention what I said if you don't. <laughs> I said, okay, you got a deal. Because, you know, after the game, someone was going to say something. Oh, so yeah. I, I said, yeah, I said, you know, that was confidential information, what we talk about. Well, we you know, you know, people just they always want to know what pitching coaches say to the hitters. I mean, to the to the uh, pitchers. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, I know you've had it. You know, there's you go out there and talk to a guy. The next pitch is a grand slam with bases loaded or something. Or you'll go out there and talk to the guy with no outs, bases loaded. And he'll get out of it and you'll sit on the bench and you go, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I, everybody will start laughing. I said, yeah, yeah. you just give it a little bit of encouragement. <laughs> everybody starts laughing. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a, you know, going back, you know, real quick to, uh, uh, I was just going to say about young pitchers, uh, young guys looking, and I think you hit it on the head. You got to look for the right person to, help train you um, when you're a young guy. And for me, I would not, if I have a young kid that's in, that's a little league or a pony league type age pitcher, I'm not going to go with the guy that's the big high technology guy. The guy that's got the tra track man, rap soto, he's got every right. freaking thing because that's what he's selling to your parents to pay him. And I would rather have an older school guy that has a, has an understanding of balance, rhythm, and timing for delivery, help you find the slot that you throw with, that you can throw strikes with, um, uh, that you don't need the technology. You can't even use it anyway. It's kind of like teaching a guy a curveball, uh, a curveball. He can't repeat it because he hasn't got his man's strength yet to repeat it. So it doesn't matter that he throws one good one out of seven, you know, don't teach it to him because he's not ready to learn it. We say it all the time on here that we're chasing finished products that if we actually built the proper foundation, the finished products would be there. The spin rate, the shape, the, the, the ability to execute and command. When you do the little things right, that's the finished product. But yeah. we're not doing any, we're, we're not paying attention to any of the little things. We're chasing a high spin rate, high different shape pitch all of a sudden, and 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 nobody's paying attention to the fact that there's no balance, no rhythm, no timing, and that's why you can't execute any of the pitches properly and be a good pitcher. Yeah, if I it, it 
to your point, if if I were running a minor league system, the those rookie league kids that that low low A ball first year, I would I would not have young coaches. I would have veteran guys. I would have an older guy that's been through it because not only are you teaching them about the game, you're teaching them about baseball life. I mean, none of these, these kids come into the game. They haven't been on buses. They haven't lived in hotels. They have probably haven't even been away from home. Uh, so you need almost uh, like a fatherly figure uh, just to teach them the fundamentals of the game. Yeah, we used to have all the way through the system like with the Indians. That's the way it was. We had all veteran pitching coaches at every level. Yeah, it's important. I, I, it, it, and, and Mark, to your point, is that everybody kind of has the same philosophy uh, about, you know, how to, how to build a guy, uh, you know, how to, how to shape him. Uh, and as they go up, you're just adding, you know, you're just adding to the mold a little bit until he gets to the big leagues. And then it's the big league pitching coaches, uh, you know, job to, to make him comfortable at that level. But if you go, if you have guys that, you know, I don't like doing this, one guy likes doing this and the other guy doesn't like it and that type of stuff, there's a lot of confusion. And, and when you, when you confuse kids and they don't, they, they, they don't have anybody to look to for guidance, I think you end up losing a lot of guys that way. Mike, as you're progressing guys up the ladder in the system, you're talking about I, I like the continuity of kind of continuity of care with a player. How do you communicate that to if these kids going from single A to double A or double A to triple or triple to the bigs? How do you communicate that to the next level to say, okay, you want to bring him up, but he's not capable in X, Y, and Z? How is that? Well, I, yeah, I think if you uh, – well, first of all, if he's he needs to pass certain levels for me to get to, you know, to go from A to double A or, you know, double A to triple A. I mean, there's certain things that you have to be able to do um, you, it, it, to, to get to double A. You better be able to start commanding more than just your fastball. You better be able to start getting your secondary pitches over the plate. Now, you might not be as consistent, but you better be able to start doing that, those type of things, because you can't survive uh, on one pitch. Uh, not, not at, and so that, and then the next guy, and you, what you do is you, you relay these, these things to the coaches. And if you're, if you're like, like, like Mark uh, was, you know, kind of like the coordinator and what I did, you, you relay these things as the guy's going up. Okay. You know, this guy's got potential. He needs to be, you know, he has the potential to have success at this level, but we need to concentrate on this. We need to concentrate on uh, tightening up his slider or tightening up his curveball. He gets, uh, he's be able to get, get a little bit more depth, get a little, get a little, he can throw it over the, uh, the plate a little bit longer, or, or he needs to keep cultivating that change up he's been working on. So they need to know those things. I think the, most guys that that are sent up uh, are usually the manager and the pitching coach will sit down with them and kind of give them, okay, this is the good stuff. You know, you're going to the next level. This is what you're probably going to see. You're going to see more advanced hitters. Some guys at the double A level have played at the big leagues. 
so you're going to have to start needing to do these type of things. So it's just, a, it's a, you know what, it's all about communication. If you can communicate and, and everybody's on the same page, uh, then you have a chance. If you don't, uh, if you're not a communicating type of organization, you're going to run into trouble. That's a good point. And guys, we've kept Mike here for over an hour and we appreciate his time. Any, any last questions for him? To- I got, uh, I got one quickie, uh, a, a Mike Pazic, uh advanced story. Uh, he and I were together with the Rockies his first year advancing. And uh, I know what this is. He went out to Arizona to see our club and get to know that, and we opened up with the St. Louis Cardinals. So I had the Jupiter uh, Palm Beach area for spring training and had seen a bunch of the Cardinals, and they had a new kid that was going to make their team. And he said, tell me a little bit about this kid. You know, where's his strengths and weaknesses? I go, well, I don't think he has any weaknesses. He goes, come on, well, get the hell out of here. Every hitter's got a weakness. I said, I haven't seen one. I've seen him about six or seven games. He goes, yeah, okay, right. So we opened up with the Cardinals, and this young guy, I think, went six for nine with four home runs. And Pays goes, yeah, yeah, that Pujols was a pretty good hitter, I think. <laughs> I still, you know, you know, he, he, he is like – uh, you know, like Mark had Manny Ramirez. I mean, he's that type of guy. Yeah. That it, it they're they're very hard to figure out because they're smart, and they 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 may act like they're not paying attention, but they're zeroed in. They know exactly what, and they and they they'll sit on pitches, and and they'll look for they'll look for the tendencies, and when they get their pitch, they don't miss it. I you know yeah, like I was I, I was like embarrassed like. Mike, I, I didn't see any weaknesses like like I had been asleep at games for for the last three or four weeks over there in Jupiter. Well, You're right. Had, and and I go, you know, I, I and he goes, come on, well, everybody's got some weaknesses. Strange well, they seem. This guy's a this guy's a Kansas City guy, uh, and yeah, we passed on him. Uh, yeah. And I, I asked our college Kansas City guy. Yeah, I asked Art Stewart about that one day. I go, I, I mean, how the hell we missed this? And he said, you know, he said when he was in, when he was playing, he goes, he was overweight and really kind of lazy. And uh, basically at the end, he said, uh, the bottom line is we made a big mistake. <laughs> I said, well, yes. You know, it's funny. I was with the Orioles at the time of spring training in Fort Lauderdale. And we'd go up to play in Jupiter. We'd play both the Marlins and, and, and St. Louis. And we go up there one day to play, and Pujols is in the lineup. And I watch him. I go, God, who is this guy? He was hitting line drive gap gappers, and it was unbelievable. And so we go back. A couple of days later, we go back up there to play the Marlins, and Cabrera comes up. And Cabrera looked like he looked like a rod. <laughs> yeah. And he's hitting bombs. And then I go, Who are these two guys? They're only like twenty years old. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And I asked Dan Jennings, who was assistant general manager, I said, how do we miss on Pujols? And he goes, hey, I was a dumbass. I had him worked out and I had him put catching gear on. Oh, I guess because uh, he was kind of overweight and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he was heavy. But, uh, you know, those, those type of guys, uh, and I go back to the, the Seattle uh, in the mid-90s, it, it, and we did this. We 
would rather, when we played them, we would, and this is, you know, people are going to go, really? We would rather pitch to Ken Griffey Jr. than we would to Edgar Martinez with the game on the line. Believe it or not. I mean, Edgar was just, you knew that he was going to put the, you know, Griffey might hit a ball 800 feet. But if you threw it in the right location, you had a chance of getting them. The other yeah. guy, the other guy would just make adjustments during the at bat, and that's what great hitters, I think, do. That it's not only pitcher to pitcher, game to game; it's at bat to at bat, and he would do that. I like it. Well, guys, that was a great show today. Again, uh, Mike, thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing your thoughts with us. And I know I got smarter today, and I know our audience. We have a very sophisticated baseball audience, seventy-two loyal countries following us. Uh, you gave them a lot of great information today. And hopefully we get a lot of great follow-up from the show. Mark and Will, great job again today. You guys always bring it. Every one of your shows is quality, and you always bring on great guests. We appreciate you so much on on our network here. Um, To our audience, keep following us, doing what you're doing, 40,000-plus, 72 countries, loyal every week, every show. We bring you eight shows a week here, consistent information, a thread through all of them, and hope to have you back next week. This is Episode 240 on Real Voices of the Game, A Day at the Yard with Wiley and Will. Mark and Will, great job today. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike, for coming on. It was a great show. My pleasure.